Hello and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to navigate the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, and I am very excited for our guest today, Rick Giannato. Welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me, Jacqueline. So happy to be here. So happy to be here. We just met about 10 minutes ago, and I can already tell this is going to be a fabulous conversation. We've been chatting away since that initial meeting. The pressure is building. The pressure is building on that. Lots of (laughs) expectations now. Yes. I've already gone against my under promise over deliver. But just by way of background, Rick is a recognized health sector leader with service in various CEO, president, and executive roles in some of the nation's most prominent academic and public health systems. He's also held key strategic advising roles for both global medical and biotech companies. I've just found out that he was a TEDx speaker, so please check out his TED Talk from 2013 on mindfulness for high high reliability life. Welcome, Rick. Oh, thanks again for having me. I'm excited about having a conversation with you, Jacqueline. Same. So before we dig into everything, do you mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about your background and your path to where you've gotten in your career? Sure. I, you know, I I usually keep it. The simple summary is I'm a kid from Brooklyn. I mean, that's it. That's where I usually start with. I should start and end there. Where in Brooklyn? Oh, right. Well, right down Cobble Hill, Red Hook area. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Very trendy now. Very trendy now. Wasn't always trendy, (laughs) but a great place to be. I've always said Brooklyn is the brain basket for the United States. So <laughs> I get take no credit for that. But listen, everyone has a story, right? A narrative. And, and I'm, I'm just pleased to say that, you know, again, a kid from Brooklyn, um, started my career in healthcare. I will focus on that at the bedside where I was a nursing assistant, LPN, registered nurse, went ahead and got an, my uh, nurse practitioner degree as well. And then made the transition into executive roles, leading programs, and ultimately that led me to the C-suite. And that's it in a nutshell. There's a lot more in that. But I've had the opportunity over that course of time to see healthcare specifically from the inside, from the patient perspective, and also at the board level. So very, um, you know, I would say varied set of experiences, but all focused on one thing, and that has been patient care in the health system in the United States. Well, and that's so interesting because, you know, you went from the practical doing to the executive overseeing and advising. And so when you think about your trajectory, what do you think helped get you there? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of that would go into an individual's personality, right? Mm. And, and their background. And for me growing up, as I said, a, you know, a, a kid in Brooklyn, and there's a lot of different factors, variables uh, that go into that. For me in particular, uh, wasn't that I was a good student or bad student, but school wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And I took a path that was a little different. Uh, I was always, I think, more, I would say self-motivated, but inspired by other things and left high school before graduating and ended up actually traveling, was in Florida and said, you know, as many folks do, what am I going to do with my life? And at that particular time, uh, and I had always been interested in healthcare, it was a program that was in uh, the, the Broward County area for folks who were aspiring healthcare people. Mm-hmm. And it had a track, believe it or not, for nursing assistants to become LPNs. Mm-hmm. And then on from there, and I applied, took the test, 
And that was the start. So, um, you know, that lever was pulled from me and I never looked back, never looked back. It was just, it's been an incredible, rewarding career. But I think where it started from, uh, I, I, I don't know that I would have ever seen it going in the path that it did and how it unfolded. But, you know, a series of circumstances. And as we know, people in your life that come in and play significant roles. And if you're attuned to that, doors can open. If you're passionate about something, you can put a level of effort and enthusiasm into that. If you understand and do your homework, you know where the curve is going to bend and maybe you could be ahead of it. And I'd like to think I was fortunate to have all three of those in the calculus that was part of my professional arc. Yeah. And there's so much in what you just said, starting with knowing yourself and knowing what works for you. It sounds like in your personal circumstance, you knew school wasn't what you needed. It wasn't going to get you where Rick was meant to be, right? And so you went with your intuition and gut a little bit and followed, it sounds like some motivation and inspiration around you. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's fair. And I would say this um, on, with respect to the school thing, and this is really important because, um, look, I teach right now uh, at, uh, I know at the university level, so I'm never going to marginalize school. That's, that's, that's number one. And I did go on to get my MBA and, and uh, my doctorate degree. So I have a great uh, respect for educational institutions and what that could do for an individual. Mm -hmm. But as in most cases, timing is everything. And at least for me, I had made choices early on that took me on a different path that I then leveraged and ended up clearly going back to school for many, many years and many, many years also of student loans. So I did want to put that in the, in the knowing yourself kind of bucket. Yeah, of course, of course. And a lot of people I speak with in my career coaching business talk to me about how they've been on autopilot for a lot of their life. And all of a sudden they find themselves in a place where they've either uh, made a certain amount of money that they wanted to make, or they've achieved a certain level of seniority that they wanted to achieve. And they're sitting around thinking, but do I like this? Is this what I really like? And so I think it's so remarkable in your story that you, re you were drawn to the healthcare system from such a young age. What, what was it about that that drew you to it? I think, you know, the attraction to healthcare, it always starts with, with people, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I wanted to have an impact factor in something that was different than, let's say, business. Uh, there were things I'm, I'm very interested in, music and, and airplanes and things like that. But healthcare, there was a couple of things. The ability to have an impact on an individual, a patient in this sense, uh, their lives, to, to, to have uh, a toolbox of solutions that you could put towards a remedy, right? And help them achieve a health and wellness. I mean, that was it. That to me was just an incredible opportunity and to be part of everything that goes into that. First, you know, in the, in the nursing direct care area, clinically as an NP, et cetera, but then at a much broader level in healthcare administration to be able to not only look at the impact factor for one individual, but then on a group of individuals or a population or a community that you serve. And that was a real compelling uh, factor in my choices. You know, early on, and again, this is really important, and it's not to in any way marginalize either side of this, 
but taking care of patients one at a time, fantastic. And over mm-hmm. the course of a career, you really impact hundreds of thousands of lives and even mm-hmm. more when you think of that, about their families. But I found, and I was drawn to healthcare administration and the policy side, and even what I'm doing now, that there was an opportunity to impact a much broader set of constituents. As I said, communities, populations, maybe in the health tech space, a device that could really, you know, uh, lead to game-changing advancements that could help, you know, thousands, if not more. So that was the, the, I think, the big picture for me, which I got early on. And healthcare, look, it's a massive economy on its own. If you take a look at it, mm-hmm. that is, a, I, I often say I'm, I'm, I'm bilingual. I speak fluent business and also I speak fluent healthcare and it is a different language. There's no doubt about it. And obviously I'm being facetious about that, but whether you look at the economic side, the policy side of it, the politics, the way our reimbursement system is, it is enough to keep folks busy for an entire career, which it has done for me. That's very funny because I always joke that I speak the language of business and I speak the language of people and I I help bridge the gap between the two. So that's very funny that you just said that. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about my grandfather who I was very, very close with. He passed a few years ago, but he was an internist in the area where I grew up. And I remember being very young and he would take me on rounds with him to the hospital And we would go and we'd see all of his patients and it has never left me the individual impact that he was able to have on people's lives. And even after he passed or whenever I would meet someone randomly, them coming up to me and saying, your grandpa saved my life or your grandpa saved, you know, my father's life or my mother's life or something like that. And you bring up the word politics and you, you have been at the helm of some very large organizations. So when you think about the, the impact of the work you want to have, a frustration I, I hear from a lot of people is, I got into this industry, I got into what I'm doing because I wanted to make a difference, and now all the red tape is getting in the way. Mm-hmm. What do you say to those people? Yeah, Len, let, let me answer that from two different perspectives. So one like the practical side, you look at politics. And I, in fact, I teach the five P's. I always call it the five P's. In healthcare, it's, let's say it starts with politics and it could be partisan politics, right? At the federal state level, mm. it, that impacts policy. The policies impact um, how things are paid. Uh, how we pay things impacts both providers, healthcare, doctors, as well as hospitals but ultimately impacts the patient, so individuals. And that to me is very important from a, a, when you look at it from a lens of things that you can change or should really be focused on when you're looking at care delivery, uh, if you're an older uh, individual and looking at Medicare, if you're uh, you know a Medicaid recipient or just anyone who's thinking about healthcare, those are really big things to, to keep your eye on if you're interested in it. Otherwise, other piece, people will make the decisions for you. Mm. But then there's the other side of politics, right? And by the way, that for everything I just described could be enough to definitely get someone at the level of frustration or even burnt out trying to navigate and make the system better because yeah. care models, care delivery really has not appreciably changed all that much. This mm-hmm. is just a reality. We're seeing tremendous acceleration right now post-COVID in areas like telehealth and and also I think there's some incredible advancements we're seeing 
in the pharma world and in the med tech side that are going to be game-changing, including the application of technology, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, the metaverse. Phenomenal, right? This is going to be unprecedented. But the other side of politics is, is something I know you're very familiar with, and this is the dynamics of working in an organization. Yes. And the politics of, uh, you know, you, you name it, labels, hierarchies, uh, individuals, power structure, you, everything that goes into what it takes to navigate human nature in, an, in a business world. And that's a very different set of, I think, uh, again, levers that get pulled mm -hmm. and buttons that are pushed that can burn people out. I 100% agree with you on that front. And I was just recently having a conversation with somebody about substance and style and executive presence. And there's so much about being good at what you do and being able to walk the walk. But in these big bureaucratic hierarchical organizations, there is an element of having to talk the talk and play the politics a little bit too. And so I'm curious because you have been, again, in the C-suite, when you're identifying potential talent to come up through the ranks, or you're identifying successors for big roles, what are those key qualities that you look for? Yeah, that's a great question. That really is. And uh, from a context uh, you know, lens, I would say there's certain immutable things, right, that you look for. For me, it's always the integrity, authenticity, that thread that runs through, um, you know, an individual's career and their life and how that translates. I have always thought with high talent that the potential and that when you, when you think about what, what they could potentially do and the impact of, of what they have to give in the future with respect to their career mm -hmm. is something that needs to be recognized, not only what they've achieved, so when you look, at least I've done this, when I looked for high talent, it really is what's the potential factor that, that is there, that X factor of this individual that's equal parts, enthusiasm, you know, integrity, authenticity, you know, just a desire to, to make a difference. You know, that means so much when, you, when you're looking for, for the right, you know, individual for the, you know, right role. Now it's a lot more complicated than that, mm -hmm. right? It, it, it is much more complicated, particularly in, in, in today's environment that's out there. But I think there are things that you look for, and I mentioned a few of them, and, and that to me has always been important, particularly the integrity, authenticity, you know, piece, which I think is, is always something, if you start with that, you're not going to go wrong. I think where some people find a challenge is understanding how they can demonstrate those types of values in a way that is action-based. So what can somebody in an organization do to prove that they have integrity, to prove that they are authentic, to prove that they are high potential, uh, to prove that they are enthusiastic and do it in a way, I know this goes back to authenticity, but do it in a way that is true to themselves and not fake. Yeah, I, I think, you know, knowing your limits, knowing when to ask for assistance is really important. Mm. Uh, it does not in any way signal uh, someone's inability. In fact, I think it, it signals, hey, I actually understand when 
I might need someone with more experience to come in, assist me, teach me, guide me so I can do it better the next time. Same thing with, um, you know, uh, say past history, small individual efforts that you could call wins. They should never be, you know, again, put aside. They account for something. So being forthright and saying, look, this is what I've done in my career, because a lot of small wins add up to something big. And it Mm -hmm. also allows building blocks and gives, you know, a potential uh, hiring person a good idea of what this person's trajectory could be. So for me, that's always worked out. What have you done before? What were the big challenges? How have you addressed a particular situation? How did you handle your own emotional you know, reactions in a setting where it could have been a highly, you know, volatile or, or loaded proposition. How did you handle unpopular decisions? You know, getting that kind of feedback. And if someone's authentic and they're telling you straight where, where they're coming from, what they did, et cetera, you could learn a lot about their style and it just helps with fit. And fit is a, is an important thing. We should never discount that and it's, it's always a two-way street, right? Uh, I love my mom. My mom said many times, don't forget when you're going for a job, yes, they're hiring you, but you're also hiring them. And mm-hmm. it could be for many, many years. So it, it is a two-way street. Yeah. There's a quote, I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. I think it was from Voltaire who said, don't judge a man by his answers, judge a man by his questions. And when you were talking about asking questions and that not signaling oh, I don't know what I'm doing, right? I agree with you so much because there's so much power in curiosity and there's so much power in asking a question, avoiding more complications down the road and learning in the process. Oh, that's so important. I, I will, and we've heard this time and time again. There's, there's so many quotes I'm sure we could attribute to what I'm about to say, but we cannot look at some of the challenges that are happening. I'll use healthcare as an example and think we're going to apply the same tools that we've always done. You cannot. There was not a metaverse. There was not artificial intelligence where we can look at, oh, wow, you know, maybe this can can read an x-ray better than a radiologist. These are new vexing issues. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a very different perspective. And I'm using that as an example, obviously, to approach this. And when individuals have that level of curiosity, when they're inquisitive, when, when they're seeking and learning and on that path of discovery, you get so much out of it, obviously, for a small group, but across the board for an organization. So that brings up a really excellent point, because I, the idea of what worked in the past won't necessarily work in the future because we're in a rapidly evolving landscape. That can manifest in so many different ways in an organization. Either a leader is excited to get into a new role and they feel stunted because you have the higher ups that want to do things the way they've always been done or someone's frustrated because they don't think they can, you know, uh, evolve the vision of an organization the way it needs to be evolved. And they're, they're, they feel like they're beating their head against a wall. Right. So to someone who's in an organization and maybe feels like that, what would you say to them? Yeah. You know, I think it depends upon where you're, structurally positioned within Mm. an organization, right? And, and that clearly will impact or blunt even your voice. And one thing that I, I, I speak to a lot, and in fact, I teach this as well is don't lose your voice in an organization. 
Don't do it. Try to find the place where you are heard. This is really important. It's, it's important for everyone. It's important clearly for, for folks who are aspiring, uh, you know, uh, to be in a leadership position, but having the kind of leadership that allows you to speak your voice, to contribute, that's very important. Mm -hmm. And if it's not in an organization already, it could be problematic. Mm -hmm. And this is just something that when folks are, you know, uh, working at a, at an, an institution, a company, et cetera, they can't have their voice heard. There's not an opportunity. In fact, they're not even at the table. Then they have to make choices. And sometimes those are unpopular for themselves and they, you know, clearly might have consequences like I'm leaving the country, the company. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some folks have to make that kind of move and come to that kind of conclusion. So much of what you're saying strikes me as coming back to emotional intelligence. Because so much of it is about context, where you are in a hierarchy, where you are in an organization, knowing your limits, right? So much of it is the interpersonal and understanding who's on the other side of the table from you and making sure that you are putting together words in terms of how are they going to hear it effectively? Because it's incumbent on the speaker to make sure they're putting it in a way that the receiver can understand. And emotional intelligence is a very hot topic. And frankly, it's becoming a, a hotter topic in a lot of these specialized industries like healthcare, mm -hmm. like medicine, like finance, like law, mm -hmm. where you have a lot of really great doers who then are promoted to managerial positions and all of a sudden are confronted with working with people. Yeah. Right. And I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning, because you mentioned people come in and out of your life at different points and seasons in your career and influence you. And so I'm curious if there were one or two people who really had a tremendous impact on your career trajectory and what that relationship looked like. Yeah, sure. I, look, I would be, uh, I would be remiss if I did not think about uh, my parents and, and my mom. And I think the support that I got from both of them early on was just tremendous in terms of just supporting my decisions. So uh, I just have to acknowledge that. And there's so much more that I can, you know, add to it, but I would say that, but professionally, I, uh, I was very, very fortunate. And in fact, blessed to have a couple of people in my career early on uh, the CEO at the institution I was, I was working at and, and I was in a very clinical role I was walking down, uh, you know, the hospital corridor with him and he stopped me and he said, listen, I want you to know something. You can do what I do. And mm. this was the CEO of the organization. So he must have, you know, been aware of something. I knew I was very, I was good at what I did, mm -hmm. but it had nothing to do with hospital executive functions or administration. But he, he took the time to recognize, I think the efforts that I had done at that time, very programmatic and, and let's just call it very clinical in terms of operations and saw that there could be something more than that. And, and part of that also was that recognition got me into committees that I served on and exposure in the organization that was just so incredible for my career as a young, you know, uh, let's say up and comer. Mm -hmm. So, so that person to stop and it was just incredible. And then later in my life when I, I had made a big career jump and, uh, you know, to a very big institution, a 
very, very big program for me. It was just exponentially greater than anything I had run before. And I had, again, an incredibly inspiring uh, person in, in the role of, of, of my, uh, my boss at that time, who was the vice president and COO. And he just mentored me and listened to me and let me go. And the one thing besides opening doors within the institution, making sure I was in the right place and my voice was heard, understood, and I learned this early on, that walking the walk, being humble was so important. And he was just one of the most incredible role models for me, gave everyone else the credit. But whenever something went south, he always took the, you know, the brunt of it. And, mm -hmm. I, and I just saw that early on. So there were two individuals specifically that I can think about one very early in my career, and then actually someone I worked with for 25 years. So was, what strikes me about that is lead by example. Yes, absolutely. Both those circumstances. Right. And it's very easy to take credit when things are going well. Mm -hmm. And it's not so easy to take credit when things aren't going well, but that is the true sign of a leader, yeah. right? Who gives it away freely and takes it when the tough times get tough. Yep. Well said. Absolutely. And I'm also struck by how amazing a little uh, that a little encouragement can go such a long way. Yeah, we and we know this, right? It's mm -hmm. it is more of a factor in retention, mm -hmm. right? A pat on the back or 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 that inspiring word or taking the time. It's it's much more influential than just giving someone a raise. It it is. Oh, that brings up such a great topic that I wasn't even planning on going into, which is retention. So I am clearly in the business of, you know helping people be their best selves at work. I have a very firm belief that investing in, in employees is better for the bottom line of an organization in the long run. You save on recruitment costs, you save on turnover costs, you save on downtime from having to hire, burning out other employees. I'm curious what your experience has been leading some of these large institutions. Yeah. Um, let me hone in a little bit on, I, I think, Jacqueline, with what you're saying specifically, I would say this, when you think about investment, human capital, I hate to even put it that way because we're, we're right. I'm commoditizing it. It's right. so much more than that, particularly in healthcare where it's relational. It's mm -hmm. not transactional, right? It is a very different, you know, compact when you think about, let's just say a patient and clinician relationship. Mm -hmm. You can't get that in, you know, probably the only other places in the military when you're under like serious duress. So it's, it's, and I would say this applies to not only healthcare, but, but most organizations, the recognition of, of all of your employees, right? The investment in your workforce, mm -hmm. you will get returns on that investment many times over. And this is something that could be as simple as I'm going to make sure I'm, I make rounds and check in with folks, everyone, particularly the folks who are going above and beyond. And maybe the folks who, who I know are struggling to help lift them up, support them, recognize them, because that goes so far. Mm -hmm. But also your HR policies and procedures, what is important to a community and how your institution recognizes that and you could be part of that. That many times is such a good way to get everyone involved that are, that's on your team. 
work for you, just investment in the community. But I think it's it goes from the simple things all the way up to to the larger and bigger impacts that might even include, hmm, I, this person's got high talent. I'd like to send them to school because mm-hmm. I recognize something. Uh, or it could be, let's do a community activity that's going to take a, the team out of the building and you know serve folks. And it's, it's team building. Everything in between. Yeah. I have a big smile on my face because that's how I can tell that you are a good leader. I appreciate that. That's how I can tell that you're a great mentor based on, based on that answer alone. Um, I, I, I want to ask what challenges you faced at being at the helm of these organizations that maybe surprised you. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's one thing I would say, and this is really important, regardless of where you are in an, in an, in an organization, an institution, a company, et cetera, you always have to think, you know, you're there to serve someone. Mm-hmm. And well, let's, even in for-profit organizations, in the, in the private markets, et cetera, you might have a, a board, you have stakeholders, et cetera. You have to look at earnings reports and guidance, very, very different set of pressures, really something that could take its toll, there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. If you're in healthcare, a single mistake that happens and they could be significant events and it is in, in terrible conditions, a, a, a catastrophe, right? I mean, there's no doubt about that. That weighs heavy on folks. So those are in, I would say in general, things that you might have an idea, but until you're in the middle of it, you don't know how you're going to respond. But if you're open-minded and you've had a career where you're not impeded to reach out and get other people's feedback and to have a group of trusted advisors, to have a a super team around you. Uh, Even if you have to make the singular decision, you have the kind of support where you know that that decision and everything that supports it will be executed across the line in a way that you've come to the conclusion, you believe this is the best direction to go in. So I've always relied on that, but, but has there been circumstances there, there always are, you know, I mean, for in healthcare, it's, 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 please let me never have a significant adverse event, you know, at any level of the organization, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but the same could be said in business. You know, I do not, if, if I don't create a situation where I have a positive margin and that positive margin is used to reinvest in the organization Mm -hmm. and advance and extend programs so that I could be more competitive and maintain my competitive advantage. I don't have that. I don't control my own destiny. And if I'm not controlling my own destiny, someone else will surely do it for me. Mm. The competition, the board comes in, some other elements. So there's always those, you know, uh, potential issues that pop up that if you hadn't experienced it before, you're going to learn quick. The themes of community and curiosity popped up in that answer again. And it seems like those have been so prominent throughout our entire conversation. And believe it or not, I'm looking at the clock and our time is winding down. But Rick, I do like to rapid fire two questions to my guests, if that's okay with you. I'm fine. Yeah, let's go for it. Put you in the hot seat. Yeah. So the first question I have, and we've talked a lot about leadership, right? What advice would you have for someone who's maybe a newly minted manager 
or a newly minted leader in an organization and is trying to leave their mark? Yeah, I would, I would say this and, and in no particular order, you know, play to your strengths. That's number one. Uh, and thought, thinking thematically, the authenticity and sincerity piece is so important, you mm-hmm. know, uh, don't compromise yourself because it will come back. There's no doubt about, and, and it will haunt you mm-hmm. in, in, in negative ways for some, but I think the authenticity side, the playing to your strength side is really, really important. The other side is be fearless, but not reckless. Mm. This to me has been something that is, uh, you know, if I had a motto from it, that would be it. Be fearless, but don't be reckless. How do you differentiate between the two? Uh, I w- well, you'd never be, be reckless with someone's life, right? If we yeah. started at that level or with an institution's assets, uh, you know, things that you could really, you know, that's troubling. Uh, but understanding risk, understanding risk tolerance is very, very, very important. You know, I mean, if I was flying an airplane and the ceiling was 50,000 feet, I, you know, flying at 45,000 is really playing it safe, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing that says I can't fly it at 49,900, still safe. So it's, it's, it's understanding that kind of quotient that makes sense. And it goes back to what you said. I think when we were talking at the very outset of the conversation, knowing your limits. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing context, knowing the limits. All right. Next question and take this however you will, what do you know now that you wish you knew back then? Wow, that is a great question. And I don't know where to start. <laughs> and uh, I, I know now that I don't know everything. Mm. And there could have been times uh, in my or particularly early career when you feel like, wow, I've got this down, I know everything, when there's so much to learn. And having that level of curiosity will not only allow you to be, you know, better informed, educated, ask good questions, but it could also open up endless possibilities. What a great note to end on. That is so well said. And I I was making a joke of this last week. I think all of my podcasts are now ending the same way, which is all roads lead back to curiosity. Mm amazing. This might be the new theme of Worked Up. Uh, Rick, this has been an excellent conversation. I'm thrilled that you were able to join us. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Jacqueline. It was a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, likewise. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. Look out for new episodes on Tuesdays. As you can tell, we have wonderful guests coming down the way. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. And please connect with us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting, on our website, www.jacquelinebeckconsulting.com, or email us at info at jacquelinebeckconsulting.com. That's Jacqueline, J-A-C-L-Y-N, Beck, B-E-C-K. See you next time.